This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome to another Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Stacey Ross, joined, as always, it seems, by Jake Heaps. Curtis is leaving us. That's right. I mean, He's never just, here. He's not part of the show anymore. No, it's like he invited us to a party, and he's not here yet because he, he just, wants some grand entrance. That's right. Or he just ditched us. Found something better. Unbelievable. Quite a weekend of sports. Did you uh, Did you catch how many March Madness games did you watch? I, I actually caught a lot of a lot of March Madness, and Good. I was really happy about it. It's the best time in terms of you know college sports and times a year. Yeah, it, it's hard to top March Madness. It is. There were some great games. UCF and Duke, I think, takes the cake from from that weekend. UCF yeah. really almost pulled it out. I they was were so. I don't know how that ball didn't. I go was in. in the airport. I was in the airport. Yeah. Uh, waiting for my flight to come back from Atlanta to Seattle. And uh, I was, you know, kind of waiting, hanging around this bar because they had TVs everywhere. And as the game was, you know, approaching towards the end, I had to, I was, it, my plane was starting to board, but there was like 30 seconds left in the game. So I was, you, of listen, course, I was like, I gotta hey, stay. I, I got to stay. I'll take the next plane. And there was this huge crowd around in the concourse yeah. just gl- you know glued to the TV. I mean it's just what time of year does that happen? It's very it's rare unreal. when that happens and uh, you know everybody around the the emotion, the ups and the downs and it, it's so fun. That's when you do strangers will like high five you yes. or they'll be it's the best. Exactly. Like all of a sudden you guys are best friends. You're your best friends in the moment, the game's over and yep. then you're back to strangers again. But you'll always have that moment. That's right. That's you'll right. never forget it. <laughs> well, we've got that to get into uh and plenty of NFL news on today's timeline. All right. First up, we'll get to some March Madness stuff, but right now, NFL owners have kicked off uh, the owners' meetings that started Sunday, and it'll go through Wednesday. They're going to gather to discuss some league information and go over rule proposals. So a few things have come out of the meeting so far. It's a bit interesting. First of all, the Packers and Bears will open the season on Thursday, September 5th. Normally, Jake, as you know, this is reserved for a Super Bowl winner, but the Patriots will instead play on Sunday night. Interesting. Uh, I know. So the biggest debate rule heading into the meetings was, what would you say? Uh, Without a doubt, I I don't know what it is, but I'm just assuming it's the Saints no P.I. call. (laughs) What else could it be? Whatever rule it is, it has to do with the NFC Championship. You're not wrong, although although we'll talk at 7.15 when we get into these meetings and get into the rules in detail. I'm not sure this will actually solve it, but uh, one of the most controversial uh, decisions that they're going to make about the rules is whether or not to expand replay. Um, so again, that stems from that NFC championship game, a very controversial no call. I will die on that mountain that the Saints should have won that game. But <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. This is this is something that in that moment, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we're going to dive into it in this next segment, but that's an opportunity as clear as day that that call and with everything that you have in place in in that moment that current year that call should have been corrected it should have gotten Mm -hmm. figured out and so whatever they decide to figure this out moving forward they have to come up with a better solution than what was presented in that nfc championship game you took a, a franchise a city out of an opportunity to go to the super bowl 
um, and and you can't ever take that back. Mm-hmm. They and can't that would have been it. it. That's back. the thing. It wasn't just something where it's like, well, it could have gone either way. Who knows? Like, yeah. Well, if the Chiefs would have gone first in the AFC Championship, maybe they would have thrown a touchdown and won it. Sure, I could see that argument. Yeah. But I mean, without a doubt, I think the Saints' odds would have skyrocketed to just. It would have essentially sealed the win. It, the Rams it, would have had seconds to come back. Exactly. It would have. It would have all but sealed that game. And uh, th- this is a. This is this game is too good there's too much in place there's too much technology for us to have a situation like this ever occur again Mm -hmm. so hopefully they will be able to right this wrong but for the Saints fans it'll never be written no this is it you'll remember it it forever this is the like the Super Bowl 49 moment for Saints fans where it's like you don't even want to rewatch that game right you're a Saints fan you're just done with it All right, well, there were a lot of great games this weekend. Unfortunately, on Sunday, the Huskies lost a heartbreaker to North Carolina. They were eliminated from the NCAA men's tournament after an 81-59 loss. Washington had a few bright moments, but overall, it couldn't keep pace with the Tar Tar Heels, who held the lead for the entire game. We're going to dive into that loss and, more importantly, the shape of the program at 7.30. But... Man, that was a rough one. It was rough. The, the first half was bearable. It was, it, you know, they were able to play tough, and it was yep. a good game. And the second Carter half, was hitting threes yeah, again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in the second half, it just simply got away from. You could see the two uh, programs in the state of the union where they're at, and the disparity, the disparity yep. of talent, the disparity of length that UNC had versus Washington. It was simple. Uh, it, it, there wasn't really any controversy. It wasn't like Washington played extremely sloppy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gave little effort, and you. UNC had all all of it. It just simply was a talent they disparity. Were, exactly, and it was so it was visible. Yes. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, also, both Oregon and Gonzaga will advance. So sorry, Huskies fans. Yeah, that's that's, that a tough, that's, that's a tough. That's That's tough with that's Oregon advancing, one. but he's Gonzaga. Man, they are fun to watch. I I, I picked them. Uh, I saw Brent that. Brent is fired up. So excited. Right. I picked Duke, so I wasn't. That upset? No, I was sad. I want. I was invested in UFC after about ten minutes of watching yeah. that game. But it, yeah, with, with Gonzaga, they have. When you talk about length, you had talk about talent. Gonzaga has length at yeah. every single position, and watching them. Uh, it, it, they are poised to make a big run if they can continue to keep playing solid basketball. And they were able to do that versus Baylor. And I like their chances of being able to take it all the way. Absolutely. If only Jimmy Kimmel knew where it was. That's right. He doesn't know for sure. <laughs> Heck with Jimmy Kimmel. Heck with them. Some Seahawks news. Seattle re-signed cornerback and special teams captain Nico Thorpe Saturday. Meanwhile, the team got news Monday afternoon that the sentencing hearing for newly re-signed linebacker Michael Kendricks has been postponed. No date has been set. So this was originally reported by Field Goals, later confirmed by both the Seattle Times and ESPN. Um, so, so by now, I think it's just kind of accepted that there is no set date. But that's some good news and bad news for yeah, Seattle. Yeah, definitely good news and bad news here. Good news to get Nico Thorpe back. Uh, definite uh, key contributor on special teams is a leader in that locker room. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a guy that the Seahawks can count on. Uh, with Michael Kendricks, you were hoping that you would get the sentencing in April, whatever it was going to be that uh, as big or as small as it was going to be, that it would get done before training camp. And now the fact that we don't know when this, this, this hearing is going to be, 
that leaves everything in question. You don't like unknowns, especially for the Seahawks, who are counting on Michael Kendricks to be a key contributor this season. So something that we're going to cross our fingers, and, and hopefully it happens sooner than later, and, and hopefully Michael Kendricks is able to play significant time this season. It's something where even a few months would make a difference. You're talking about a 16-week Without season a or 17-week season. Um, you know, it's. I think you have to assume the Seahawks uh, are or were anticipating a short sentence by re-signing him. They don't, you know, they might have uh, things in the contract that would give them an out, but you don't re-sign a player if you think he's going away for a couple years. But even then, if that's even pushed back to, say, July or August, and then he has to serve maybe three or four months, you're talking about going deep into the season. Correct. Correct. And in these situations, it's interesting. You just don't know the strategy behind this, right? And that's that's a tough plus, tough part for all of us. We just assume it's bad. Who knows if it's a strategy on Michael Kendrick's lawyer saying, right. hey, maybe we can push this back all the way until next offseason. We just simply don't know. Yeah, exactly. We'll take a look around the league. Gronk Hayden's up his cleats. He's done. Man. For now, Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski announced his retirement on Instagram Sunday. Sad day. day. Gronkowski's agent, this was interesting to me, says he's, quote, a unique personality and, quote, it wouldn't shock me if he has a change of heart. Do you think he's done? (laughs) Is he done? I I love how he left that out there and and expanded on that and said, you know, if it's in the middle of the season, they're not doing well, and Brady just throws it out there, hey, Gronk, I need you. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come back. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come back either, but at this point in time, when you make a decision like that, uh, your lifestyle change it changes. And, you know, maybe he's still training, keeping himself mm-hmm. ready and in shape, but uh, with Gronk, you know, what we know about Gronk, he loves to party, he loves to have a good time, and so... We'll see if he ends up actually staying in playing shape or not. But it's a sad day. Gronk is definitely one of the best to ever do it, in my opinion, the best overall tight end that's ever played in this league. Strong take. Mm -hmm. Strong take from Jake. Mariners news. Malik Smith is expected to play in the Mariners opener. He'll need to get through both exhibition games. uh, But he's part of that 25-man roster uh, that was trimmed following the Mariners' trip to Japan. So they'll open the season against the Boston Red Sox Thursday. Uh, Malik Smith has missed quite a bit of time with an elbow strain, but you could see him in there. That's got to be exciting for yeah, the young Yeah, I'm fired up. Like that, this was this was an update that I was great to uh, excited to hear about. Alex Smith coming back. Uh, One, he's a guy that you're really counting on in terms of his future with this team, being a young, talented star who can get extra bases. uh, And so to get him for opening day is huge. That'll do it for today's timeline. Coming up next, why are NFL owners and coaches at odds over two possible rule changes? Infighting. NFL Uh infighting. Uh Uh-oh. We'll explain that next on Seattle Sports at Night. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Stacey Rost. He is Jake Heaps. Are you glad that the guru thing has died down? I mean, I'm bringing it back now, but for the yeah. most part, it's gone away. It it, it really hasn't, though, Stacey. I, I get it all the time. Really? Yeah, now, and uh, I was out in Atlanta, actually, at the Elite 11 uh, Regional, and I had a kid come up to me and say, are you are you Jake Heaps, the, the guy Russell Wilson was talking about, the guru? Oh, uh, no. I was like, oh. And you can't be mean to a kid. <laughs> you can't be like, shut yeah. up, man. Yeah, no, it was it was awesome. Uh, it, you know, it's just funny how that thing, how it's going. But, uh, I mean, Bob Graz and Tom now, when I go on with them. Yeah, they that, call you the guru? That's No, I have like a lead-in segment 
all around the guru no, now. No, really? Yes. Like music yes, and everything? Yes. I got to find it. Yeah. You, I'm, I'm uh, going to find it. Yeah, we'll, we'll listen to it during the break. But yes, they do have that. So it, it's not going away, Stacey. Do you think that's the worst nickname? It's not a bad nickname, but what's... No, it's is not. Is that the most... I think it's. I think if it was self-proclaimed, if I was calling myself then the guru, then it would absolutely be obnoxious. But it's a genuine you know, compliment. If it's a compliment, then sure. But if everybody's just making fun of me for it, then have it, you had a bad nickname ever? Um, no. Everybody just plays around with my last name. Heaps, Heaps. like rhyming like, or yeah, like yeah. Jeeps or keeps or something like that yeah i mean that's that's I mean, about it could as, be a little more exciting yeah it could I'm be judging the people I, that aren't i'm with you they could they that. could they could do a lot better <sighs> come on man <laughs> hey i forgot to tell you i my on my flights i had some pretty good company with me really to atlanta i had desmond no that's the only person that matters to okay. you but i had desmond trufant and then marshawn lynch was on my flight really yes like i was just waiting in line all of a sudden marshawn lynch just comes right up next to me and i'm trying not to be like What's up? That's one of like, those people that's so distinct too that you'd be like, yes. that can't be him. No, it was very much him. <laughs> yeah, with his monsters headphones on and everything. Oh, on the flight, on the flight back, it was uh, OC Brian Schottenheimer. Really? Yes. Man, you're uh, just. I don't know what it's rubbing about. all kinds of elbows. I don't know what it is about Atlanta, but everybody was down there because just Atlanta's where it's at. I guess. All right. Well, we're gonna get into Phoenix. Like that transition. Yeah. There not you bad. Go. Not bad. Atlanta and, uh, Phoenix. That was good. <laughs> it's it was, okay. It was, it was, I didn't give you a whole lot of wiggle room. There, you know Steve. what? I. I did what I could, and it is what it is. The NFL owners' meetings, uh, league meetings, are taking place in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, that started Sunday. It'll go through Wednesday. Primarily, everyone's looking at some rule changes that we might see this year. Um, but there's some other curious you know, bits of intrigue people have. Robert Kraft, probably at the top of that list for a mm-hmm. lot of people. But let's get into the rules. Eh. <laughs> let's let's stay in the rule section for just a we'll minute. We'll get dicey there first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Um the the three I want to focus on are number one, and there's a ton that have been proposed. None that I could see from Seattle. Yeah. Um. But here's what's out there. So, uh, one was expanding instant replay to include some penalties. So right now, instant replay, um, would really only be for like a scoring play mm-hmm. or whatever. So you can't yeah. review penalties. So if you got a roughing the passer, uh, defensive pass interference. You know, we as viewers might rewatch that and that video will circulate and, and we'll see it everywhere. But that's not something that uh, a a coach can ask for a replay or it's not something that, that they'll examine. So right. this obviously came into play, like you said, Jake, after that NFC championship game. Here's my thing. And we'll get into some of the other rules, but but let's focus on this one for just a second. It wouldn't have solved that problem. So I'm not sure how you fixed it because the big thing from the NFC Championship game was a non-call. How do you challenge a non-call? Correct. Well, talking with John Clayton uh, about this, you know, the next week, you know, two weeks afterwards was the fact that the NFL headquarters, the head of officiating has the opportunity to watch that and also to buzz the head official and say, hey, we need to review this play. And we need to throw we need to throw the flag, and that those systems broke mm-hmm. down, and so you had something in place there that that simply didn't come through. So, in that particular case, the ability to challenge a defensive pass interference, I think, is great. I think it's a I think it's a great checks and balances, and people freak out about it. Well, okay, are you know the analogy I've heard? Well, then you're going to start challenging balls and strikes in baseball. 
Well, it's not really the same analogy, yeah. and you're not going to. I'm not saying you can do it every time. You get one challenge flag. You get one challenge mm-hmm. per game to uh, challenge a defensive pass interference. It is a monumental play now in the National Football League because it's a spot. Oh, it can move you down foul. the field. Exactly. It can move you 40, 60 yards down the field. Yep. And and so that to me is a big enough play. Uh, that could make a huge impact on the game, just like an NFC Championship game, just like you know, there's been plays for the Seahawks that have actually gone in our favor. That if challenge may or may not, Moore for yeah. sure. I know there were some catch rules in there, but you got a couple DPIs that went in Seattle's favor. Exactly. So you know, you're able to have some checks and balances there. The CFL actually does it for every single. Uh, defensive pass interference call, and you would think it would be terrible. It actually isn't that bad. They make decisions very quickly. They move on, uh, and and it's a very good system. So I I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities and the fact that you know there's so much argument against it, uh, or um, you know teams not willing or owners not willing to be flexible in that mindset and growth mindset uh, is scary to me a little bit. I think it would be a great addition to the NFL. Speaking of owners not being willing to be flexible, ESPN's Kevin Seifert uh, joined John Clayton earlier today to talk about uh, the fact that there's a bit of a split on replay expansion. Here's what he had to say. Um, the replay thing, you know, there's definitely, you know, there's still a lot of old school thinking people in the league who just don't want to see replay any more than we already have it. And then there's another section, a growing section in the league that knows that uh, you know, the technology has changed in the way people consume games to the point where a missed call becomes much more obvious and much more discussed and needs to be addressed probably in a different way. So I think eventually they're going to get to a point where more things can be reviewed than currently are. Whether that will be now, in the spring, next year, I don't know. But pass interference, as you know, because it's so impactful from a yardage standpoint, is, is a pretty decent place to start. Again, Seifert there echoing just what you said, Jake, about how impactful that penalty can be on teams. Um, And I think some defensive players, we've certainly seen Richard Sherman do this, but he's not alone, have argued that the league in general can tend to favor offenses, quarterbacks, but also just how rarely you see offensive pass interference. Um, So I don't think that teams, especially maybe defensive-minded teams or defensive-minded coaches that like to play aggressive and kind of like to push and see how far they can go, think of a Pete Carroll, for example, Mm -hmm. I can't see them being too angry at this because in general, I think people have argued that there's a bit of an imbalance. Um, The second thing that's so interesting to me uh, that that Kevin says is it really is, and, and again, i don't think that expanding replay would have solved the problem in the NFC championship game. I think that that was a no call. And I think the problem there was with your refs. There was something that they didn't catch. They, they weren't, you know, focused. Maybe they uh, weren't trained. Well, I mean, again, I'm sure they're experts. So this sounds very mean, but, but that was where the, the issue was. It wasn't on a rule that you can change. Right. Um, That being said, I think it's so interesting to talk about how the league has to change. It doesn't change very quickly Mm because there are big, big impacts from that. But some of these owners are, uh, they're older, they're a little more old fashioned. Uh, You think of the Roonies and the Maras and and how kind of traditional these families are. Yeah. Part of it I get, right? You want to uphold the tradition of the league. But social media and people's access to technology um, change a lot of that. Well, to to go to that point, Stacey, it's, 
so much video came out because you, you really couldn't see it from the TV copy and live where where were all the refs positioned but then when you got more and more video from the yep. stands and all that there were two referees that had eyes on that play in the NFC Championship game two referees mm-hmm. that were sitting there right there uh with a great view uh right up close to the action and neither one of those guys threw the flag so like you said there was a problem with the referees. Therefore, there needs to be some checks and balances and the ability to step in when they get it wrong. Now, the problem with that is how often does that occur, right? And right. that's the biggest thing that people are afraid of these changes. Owners, players, coaches, whatever, is, okay, well, now does every call Did we get create put a bigger question? problem? Exactly. And, and does the game now become longer? And the answer is no. It's a it's only going to be a finite amount of plays in a given game or a season, and it's not going to take uh, a whole lot of time. And for the New Orleans Saints, I go back to them, the players, the fans, the organization. For them, that time spent reviewing that call means a heck of a lot. Uh, two other rules to go over really quickly. One is to add an eighth official or a sky judge to every game. That one also not super popular uh, with owners. And the second or the third, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, this won't surprise you, proposed a rule that would allow both teams to have one possession in overtime. Right now it's a coin flip. Obviously the first team to score a touchdown would win in that situation. Look back to the AFC Championship game between the Patriots and Chiefs. That's exactly what happened. I don't mind this rule. Yeah. This, I'm okay with the it. The second one, I, again, it comes down to human error, in my opinion. Right. Uh, so it doesn't really get me, you know, it doesn't tip my scale one way or the other. But the third one, absolutely, I think should happen. Yeah. Uh, you look at it and you go, okay, in in especially when you get into the playoffs, uh, wouldn't you have loved to have seen Tom Brady go down, score, and then Pat see Mahomes. what Patrick Mahomes is going to do next, it, right? Yep. That's that's what you want to see. And and so I think it just adds the intrigue to the game and builds it up even more if both teams have the opportunity to score. All right, we're going to jump back into college football. Coming up next, the Husky season officially came to an end Sunday, but does Washington have the right pieces in place to move up from here? That's next on Seattle Sports at Night. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. Don't forget you can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. Coming up next, we're going to explore four down territory. That's in 15 minutes. We'll have four football questions for Jake Heaps. Let's I'm go. Excited. I, I'm really of excited. Of course. It's. Them. I mean, it's, I know Where's it's this your excitement level for my questions. <laughs> Come on, man. You always bring the fire, Stacey. <laughs> but right now, uh, we're going to take another look at Washington's loss to North Carolina on Sunday. Uh, as a reminder, uh, Washington fell, Oregon and the Zags both advanced. So a bit of Pac-12 success, um, at least as far as Oregon goes. Now that you're looking back at it, how should we feel about Washington's basketball program now that they've wrapped it up? They had some key players, seniors, who that was their final game. Yeah. Um, do they have the right pieces in place moving forward? Well, first off, you've got the right coach. First off, you've got Mike Hopkins, who... You've locked down for six more years. You've locked down for six more years. Is an unbelievable connector in terms of connecting his message to his players. 
and building that relationship. And that is some of that's probably one of the hardest things to do in coaching um, is to actually connect to your guys Mm -hmm. and to build an excitement around this team. Well, and guys who were recruited by someone else. So you had to come in and that's no easy obstacle. Exactly. And when he came in, they were, the the program was simply at the bottom. It was at the bottom and culturally it was the bottom with its play. And you had a lot of guys who just simply were underdeveloped and you come in and in two years, you take that team who was at the bottom of its, of its time. And now you are uh, winning the Pac-12 you're 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 ha- you have an incredible season and you get a tournament win in the NCAA. Uh you go to the NIT your first first time around, mm-hmm. get to the second round, you go to the NCAA and you get to the second round and you lose to a UNC team that simply just was really really good. It's not just hey the you know your 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 teams are close, they're compatible. Right. It's not it could have gone either way. Nope. This and, wasn't a UCF Duke thing where Duke is is clearly better, but but it was close the entire time. I mean, the Tar Heels led the entire game. The entire game, and it just simply you looked at the you looked at this game, and there was a clear talent disparity in talent and in length and in you know in every aspect. And the thing that impressed me so much was the fight that those guys still had from the Washington Huskies. They played hard. They played together, uh, and and it it told me a lot about where the program is. And Mike Hopkins talking about his team in that game afterwards called it a championship effort. Yeah, like you said, Mike Hopkins said, uh, you know, nothing but good things for North Carolina. He said UNC is elite and shows where Washington needs to go. Well, I think at the end of the day, you see what the best looks like, feels like. And uh, Carolina's got a lot. They got great guard play. They got great size. They got great shooting. Uh, they're physical. They're big. And uh, you saw what it what it felt like. Sometimes uh, our best offense is a smaller team, and you know you see the size that you got to have to get to be a top level program. And that's our goal. That's our standard. That's what we're going to try to do. That's to me. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, and so you know, playing at a championship level, even when in the second half you're you're down and. The Tar Heels are controlling the game. Uh, really says that the foundation of this program is extremely strong, and you have a lot to build off from this point. So, Mike Hopkins I, is a guy that is dynamic. Uh, I know he's going to be a dynamic recruiter. They're going to be able to land some great talent, and I know that's the goal for them in, in, in moving forward in the future. Uh, and and so, uh, adding length, adding talent is going to be a huge thing for them. And Mike Hopkins has shown that he can develop this talent. I mean, if I'm if I'm Thibault, David Crisp, Dominic Green, and Noah Dickerson, I'm extremely proud of what you do, of For what sure. what what they have accomplished over those two years. And and Thibel was uh, quoted as saying, "We're pretty proud to lay the foundation, to have those guys, to have those seniors, to have that perspective in that moment after losing, playing their last game for the Huskies, and to be able to say that." To me, one shows incredible maturity, uh, but two also understanding that those guys led the way to something greater. And if I'm a Washington Husky fan right now, I'm pretty dang excited about the direction that this that this program's headed in. And now I'm I'm closely watching who they are recruiting. Uh, you know, some guys that really stand out from the 2018 recruiting class is Brian Penn Johnson, Elijah Hardy, Nate Ro- Nate Roberts. 
Uh, you know, Brian Penn Johnson, he's seven foot. So when you talk about I was length, just going to say, what are these guys we're looking at? Are these, you know, they're going for size. They're going for, yeah. you know, let's get some competitive, literally some big bodies in here. Yeah, you have to you have to start establishing the length. I mean, when you're out there with Thibault and Crisp and Green and Dickerson, uh, you've got talented guys who are playing hard, but at, at the end, they're they're six four, six five, and you're not getting the incredible length of mm-hmm. six eight, six nine, six ten that you're seeing from UNC. Uh, and, and so over time, no matter how talented or how skilled you are, that that comes to play in this game. So uh, you know, Penn Johnson was a, is a four star, seven footer um, out of Utah. And, you know, adding that kind of length to your program is, is really uh, good. It's it's heading in the right direction. Well, and if, if there's one thing you can say, too, about Hopkins' impact so far in two years, say what you will about the conference and the competition level this year, but you've certainly put yourself higher on that list when you're recruiting, when you're getting guys to look at where they want to go. Um, you know, you're you're still competing with some big programs. You're going to, you're going to lose out to some of those bigger schools, but you're slowly branching out. It's kind of like what you've seen with Chris Peterson in his time with the Washington football program. Yeah. And actually as a sidebar, just kind of a parallel with the holiday bowl that Washington went to at the time, it wasn't seen as a huge event. Uh, Jake Locker, it ended up being one of his worst seasons statistically leading up to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But those guys, you know, went to a bowl game and and turned that program around after going winless just two years before. Right. Um, and then you've seen what Peterson has been able to do with with Jake Browning, Miles Gaskin. Obviously, all the guys on that defense have been phenomenal. But when you put yourself on the map and when you become more of a national conversation, you do start seeing some of those guys consider your program. You start seeing guys think, well, you know, I. If I go here, I'm going to be in, in the best program in the conference. Correct. How much of that might still be hindered by the Pac-12 itself? That's a good question. Uh, the thing for the Huskies when you talk about that kind of conversation is they have to show consistency. Okay, you've gotten yourself, you've, you've shown that you're, con- you're a rising program, you've turned things around. And can you can sh- can you show consistency? Can you get into the tournament on a consistent basis over the next two years? If you can establish that, uh, then you're going to start landing some of these big time recruits that a USC, a UCLA, and Arizona normally pull off year in and year out. Right. Um, and so, uh, I think for the Pac-12 in terms of its conf- in terms of how it affects the Huskies. Yeah, it's going to affect you when you're trying to recruit a kid that's in the Midwest or from the South or from the West that's getting recruited by Kansas and Duke and UNC. and Well, when you're competing with those schools, yeah, right? Yeah, it's extremely difficult to then say, hey, come play at Washington, a non-traditional basketball school. Uh, you're going to be at the top of the conference, but you know, you're probably just not going to get the same amount of exposure yep. that you would at those other schools. I mean, look at Zion Williams. I mean, he is... You know, Zion Williamson is is getting an unbelievable amount of exposure at the Zion Cam. Can yeah. we talk about that? Yeah, it, I mean, it's NCAA wild. is is following Zion every step that he takes on the court. Right, that's the type of exposure that you are giving yourself. Um, so that's going to be something tough to you know c- convince some of these schools to get away from that because simply your conference just isn't producing the type of exposure that. The ACC, the SEC, uh, and the Big 12 can provide for you. Yeah, that's the thing. I've had this debate, and and obviously 
uh, I cover football, and so I'm more familiar with having this debate around UW football. And we're actually going to get into it later in the second hour. Oh, trust um, me, we will. Oh, get we'll into get it. into it. Jake's fired up, you guys. But uh, but again, it's just you know every time I feel like these conversations come up, and it can be in the sports pit, right? All of us just working, and we're talking to each other, and um, it'll come up. Uh, for instance, Mike Hopkins when he got that six year, resigned the six year deal to keep him with Washington. Um, I think a conversation that people fairly had was okay but can you ever compete I still remember Salk that day saying it shows Washington's a legit program and at first I was like look listen my student loans tell me it's a legit program but as much as I'm making fun of Mike Salk um, he's he's got a point the Pac-12 has they have in the past but recently they have been just unable to even at the height of their success even with Washington football going to the uh, semifinals yeah they have still been unable to um, to compete when it comes to recruiting and when it comes to attention with those guys. You were there. Right. You were in the game, but yeah, you it, can't do that. But it also goes to show, like you said, you know, when you when you bring up that comparison, when you bring up, okay, let's just talk about football and basketball. Yeah. Uh, Washington was in that semifinal with Alabama. Clearly, Alabama was the better team. Yep. They had the better talent, and it showed up that day. And people, that narrative then goes to show, oh, the SEC is far superior than the mm-hmm. Pac-12. That that label is cemented. Because uh, all people need to see is one game. If they already exactly. have that belief, you just need you just one need national one, game. You just need one game. And Wait. a lot of those people, it was their first time watching Washington. Right. That's Yeah, in, in that season. And you watch Washington basketball versus North Carolina. Clearly, there was a talent disparity. And now you look at the ACC versus the Pac-12, and you see... You know, you got two teams that are at the top of that conference, and what does that look like? Clearly, the mm-hmm. ACC is a stronger conference than the Pac-12. And so when you have those opportunities, you want to be able to capitalize it if you're the Pac-12 conference to be able to boost your resume and your reputation. And they simply have not been able to get that done. I am so excited to get into this at 830. Let's go. <laughs> you guys, Jake looks mad. Like, you're a little red in the face. I'm not going to lie, man. Yeah, you're it might be. It might be from the sun. You know, I don't know. A couple know. days ago. No, but, I know. think I think it's just pure yeah, rage. You're, you're probably ready. Right. All right, we're going to get into the Seahawks next with four down territory. We've got four football questions for Jake coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night. This this is four down territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got deep, 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 deep. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Stacy Ross here with Jake Heaps. It's about that time. It's actually one of my favorite segments. I love this segment. I feel like I learn a lot, and I feel like some of them lead to debates where I'm like, oh, man, I wish I would have made that a whole segment. We could have talked about this for 10 minutes. That's right. We are past the 40-yard line going in, and it's four-down territory. Here we go. Number one. Question one. The Seahawks re-signed cornerback Nico Thorpe over the weekend. Is this a special teams move or a Justin Coleman-related move? You could definitely make an argument that it's a Justin Coleman-related move just because Nico Thorpe has been with the Seahawks multiple years, uh, brings a veteran presence, but Nico Thorpe simply hasn't played a lot in terms of the cornerback position for the Seahawks. So this is, this is for, without a doubt, a special teams move. Uh, Nico Thorpe has been a huge Im- impact player on special teams, and if he left in his departure, uh, would have left a big gap, a big hole unfilled. So retaining him and not having him leave to the Buffalo Bills was huge. Uh, Dan Morgan, who was a, uh, a, a part of the personnel 
department uh, for the Seahawks is now um, a, a big staple uh, piece over there for Buffalo. He knows exactly what Nico Thorpe can bring. Mm-hmm. Tried to get him away to the Bills, and, and luckily Seattle was able to retain him. But for me, Akeem King is going to be that guy to watch to see fill that Justin Coleman role. I, I am very intrigued about Akeem King. Uh, he's got the length. He showed that he can play that nickel position and did a great job in the Kansas City game uh, playing uh, corner from the slot. So great to have Nico Thorpe back and solidify that special teams. Number two. Pete Carroll will speak tomorrow from the NFL owners meetings in Phoenix. What's one answer you're hoping you'll hear from him? This is one that we will not get from That's Pete what Carroll. I was going to say. Pete Carroll, notoriously transparent. That's right. Yeah. I mean, uh, saying something without saying anything at all. Uh, yep. In the most positive fashion possible. Half of my notes when I go to press conferences are I'm scribbling something and then I just stop and write question mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Yeah, like I, I don't know sometimes. Yeah, it doesn't really give you a whole lot. Uh, the one question that I would like to have more clarity on is the Michael Kendrick situation. Where does he feel with that? Uh, is that something that's going to bleed into the season? Does he have a feeling one way or the other? Because, again, this could be something where uh, it could spell bad news with the hearing getting pushed back. It also could mean a good thing that the hearing is getting pushed back all the way until next year. That has happened before. We simply just don't know in that regard, and so we don't know how to feel about the situation. Number three. Rasheem Green and Shaquem Griffin had their PFF grades. They were not stellar. Which player do you expect to perform better in year two? Look, when you're talking about their rookie year, this was not the campaign that they would have wanted. Rasheem Green, there was a lot of expectations on him. Third rounder from USC. uh, Had a really promising preseason. I mean, you're just going off preseason alone. This guy was an all-pro player. Yep. Uh, And and simply got hurt and just was never able to regain that mojo throughout the season. He's a guy that I look to – uh, he, in terms of pro football focus, was 19 out of 19 in terms of grades for rookie defensive linemen. Not good. But yeah. he's yeah. the guy that has the most growth, the most ceiling, the opportunity to continue to grow, and I expect him to make a huge jump in year two in this developmental program under Pete Carroll. And as for Shaquem Green, uh, great story, in- inspirational story. I love everything about it. When he got into the game versus the Denver Broncos, it was a disaster. Uh, it, it simply, he just was not ready for that moment. He, you know, his ability to play the will linebacker position in the National Football League, uh, taking on NFL guards and tackles and fullbacks, he just simply couldn't do it. And uh, it, it was rough. I mean, he only took one game and he never saw the field again from that particular position and never had an opportunity to start. He's a special teams player, he, he plays that role. Uh, and, and I just don't know what his longevity is going to be with this team moving forward. He really is going to have to step his game up, uh, is explosive, but has to be able to play at the point of attack. Yeah, coincidentally, uh, that kind of led to the week two move and week two decision to bring in Michael Kendricks. Yes, it did. Now we're in this conversation again, but that move was made 
uh, to fill in that Will spot uh, and and to keep Shaquille yes. Griffin, get him some special teams experience. And I wonder how much of this grade, I need to look into it, and I honestly should have done it before this segment, how much of it grades snaps at linebacker and how much of mm-hmm. special teams is taken it, into o- account. Only linebacker. Because so, that's, I mean, if you yes. have one start, yeah, it, Yeah, it's only linebacker. And, and he again, it was limited amount of times that he played. But for the time that he did play, it was really rough. And, and it, it said enough that the Seahawks never really put him in that position ever again. Uh, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just, uh, physical errors. It was mental errors as well, and that's something that Shaquem is really going to have to focus on. Is is really be a student of the game and really try and see if he can pack on some some good weight and learn to play at the point of attack that Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright have been have become all pro players because they are so dominant in doing that. Number four. I like this one. Are the Seahawks ready to win a Super Bowl now? Yeah, this all kind of stem. I, I think this question stems from Brock and Salk talking about this earlier uh, today. You know, just simply asking that question because Pete Carroll has come out and said that he really believes this team has the right stuff, uh, that they have the the guys in place, and, and it's hard to say that because as we've talked about, Stacy, when you look across this roster, there are certain positions that you really like and you're hopeful for. But there's very few that are actually established. And and so you are really relying on the development of, of these particular players, these young players, and you simply don't know. With the moves that they've made in this offseason, it, again, backs the idea that they are confident in the guys that they currently have and they trust their de- their ability to develop. I mean, especially in the secondary, the fact that there really hasn't been any movement. You've actually lost guys mm-hmm. in the secondary shows how confident you are in a Shaq Griffin and a Trey Flowers in Tedrick Thompson and Delano, Delano Hill, Hill, right? Like th- that's that right there shows your confidence. Now we'll see what happens in the draft, uh, but again, they are they're going all in on the developmental piece. I think one thing that this reminds me of is uh, you actually pointed this out, and I know that Salk uh, and Brock mentioned it during their show, um, that you brought up the idea of the Seahawks being at a bit of a crossroads. Mm -hmm. They've got some big decisions to make, whether it's uh, Doug Baldwin entering the final year of his deal, Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, and Frank Clark being in the last year of their respective deals with the franchise tag for Clark. There are some big decisions to make for this team, and it's not just uh, one decision that has a ripple effect. The decision to move on from Wilson or to pay Wilson, yep. those both have a huge impact, and that's one player. You're talking Bobby Wagner, Frank Clark, guys that have been the linchpin of your defense or for Baldwin and Wilson, your offense. Um, so not only that, but then they've got a hit on these picks. It's just – it's it's a question I want to say yes to, um, just – you know, selfishly speaking, as a writer, it's right. it's it's far more interesting and enjoyable to cover a winning team. Everyone's in a good mood, but it is one of those seasons where I think you know this could really go either way. They could hit on these picks and they could surprise a lot of people, or this could be a mess. Yeah, they, they could take they could take a step back. Uh, this was dubbed as a retooling year, and when you say retooling. To me, that means that you are maybe taking a step back and then making moves forward for the future, 
right? That in year two of this retooling deal, year three, you guys are ready to make this big jump and leap. And I don't know if you can say that about this team confidently right now, Stacey. I, I, people can come at us and say, what are you talking about? You got In Pete and John, we trust, right. right? You can have that. And that's awesome. That's great. And I do believe in those guys. But when you look at this roster, just realistically, you are, you are really counting on these young guys to step up and you're really counting on you to hit in the draft at particular positions when, right now, Stacy, they do not have a whole lot to work with. It's not like they've got eight to ten draft picks this year. They've got four right now. And so if they only have four, we assume that they're going to acquire maybe six mm-hmm. at the most. But if let's say they have six, you've got to really make those six picks count. And six means you've got some lower picks in there, obviously, yes. because they don't have a second rounder, I think. I As think of they right have now, a they first don't. and a third. So you're talking about trading in to, to make it six. You're looking at like a fifth, sixth, seventh rounder. Yes. All right. That was four down territory with Jake Heaps. Always love that segment. That's it's a good one. Uh, coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night, we're going to get into Seahawks free agency. A little check-in with the professor, John Clayton. He wrote an article earlier today that's up on 710sports.com. So we're going to go over some of these moves, and we're going to talk about what the Seahawks could potentially do with some interesting cap space. Mm. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night.